Welcome to my podcast, Midlife with Courage, where my goal is to inspire you, a woman who wants to step outside of her comfort zone and live an amazing life. I'm Kim Benoy. I'll share my experiences, stories, and interviews with other amazing women that are meant to help you take those first steps towards something fantastic. So let's not wait another minute to get started. Hello everyone, Kim here. I just wanted to put a little brief note in here before you listen to this episode with Deborah Blaine. She wrote three books. I have read two of them and I love them. If you are a healthcare professional, or even if you're not a healthcare professional, you're going to love these books. Um, the first one is called Cold Blue, The Other End of the Stethoscope. It's kind of a murder mystery um, about the healthcare system and she puts a story in there. It's just, it's very, very good. And then Undue Influences is another one that talks about um, mental manipulation. And so I highly recommend those. Her third book called Beyond the Pillars of Salt, I have not read yet, but if the first two are any indication, I'm sure it is going to be an awesome book too. So if you love to read, if you have a little bit of, uh, I don't know, experience with the healthcare system, I highly recommend that you read these books. All right, enjoy this interview and I'll talk to you soon. Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Midlife with Courage. I'm Kim Benoit, your host, and I'm so happy that you're here. And I'm also happy that I have my guest here with us today. Her name is Dr. Deborah Blaine and she was born in New York City, grew up on Long Island. She received her BA from the University of Texas at Austin in the Honors Humanities Program and began a doctoral program at Temple University in Comparative Religion. She ultimately changed paths and earned her MD from Baylor College of Medicine in 1987, and she has practiced medicine for over 30 years on Long Island, New York. So welcome to Midlife with Courage, Dr. Blaine, and just why don't you introduce yourself, kind of tell us more about you than what I just read. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. First of all, thank you so much, and I just think what you're doing is awesome, and so thank you for having me as a guest, and thank you for doing this for women. Absolutely. So I started out as a physician. I, when I was young, I thought I wanted to be a doctor, or I should rephrase that. I was told I wanted to be a doctor. And by about the age of nine, um, I think that the story I heard, and I don't recall it, but the story I've been told is that they went around the room and everybody was supposed to say, what do you want to be when you grow up? My older brother said older. <laughs> um, and I said, well, I guess I'll be a nurse. I didn't know. I was nine years old. What do I know about what I want to be when I grow up? And my mother said, why? Why a nurse? And I said, because girls can't be doctors. I was just looking for something. And of course, that was it for my mother. <laughs> oh, no, you are going to be a doctor. So from the time I was nine, I was going to be a doctor. I got to college and I started to think, well, maybe I don't really want to be a doctor. I mean, I think I started thinking that in high school, but you know, parental approval is very hard to go against. And yes. so I became a physics major for a while instead of pre-med. And then I realized that the thing that I was really interested in the physics was um, the implications of quantum theory and relativity theory and not so much the literal mechanics. So, um, so then I became a philosophy major. And then I started my doctoral program in comparative religion because I thought that the things that were um, in the universe that you couldn't really touch were the most interesting things of all. And um, so I did that. I and uh, was home for vacation, uh, one intercession. And my my father 
and my mother were so disappointed in my choice of career, um, even though I had gotten a fellowship so that I wasn't paying tuition and they were paying me a little bit every month so that I could be literally a poor starving student in Philadelphia um, with a mattress on the floor. It was really cold. Oh, no. <laughs> and, um, and so I kind of caved to that and I went back because my parents had moved to Texas when I graduated high school. And um, so I went back and I took and it's funny because I never even thought about, well, what if I don't get into medical school? But um, I went back and started taking pre-med class. I went back to UT Austin. And it's really interesting because the, the, per, the woman at the healthcare, um, like the advisory person for the you know, people who wanted to go into healthcare mm -hmm. um, at the university, she was in the pre-med program. She said to me, oh, you can't, you can't get into medical school now because I had not done one well in my organic chemistry class when I was a freshman. I started college when I was 16 and oh, I was wow. falling in love and I didn't care about the little electrons that were going around the carbon atoms. I just didn't care. <laughs> so I did not do well at all. And in fact, I flunked. Um, and she said, you can't do it. And I think if she had said to me, you're going to have a really hard time, then that would have like really made me think about it. But she told me I can't. And when she said, I can't, you can't do it. I said, watch me. I was I so ticked it. off. I said, you know, I made a mistake when I was 16 years old. It's not going to change the path of my life forever. And I just refused that. So anyway, so I went back and I took organic chemistry with the same professor who is now like 95 years old. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and um, got an A in the class. And anyway, I got into medical school. I went to medical school. I enjoyed being, I enjoyed being a doctor, but I don't think it was, I know it wasn't where my heart was. It was I did it because it was expected of me. Um, I was successful at it. Um, and, you know, and it certainly paid all the bills. I became a single parent when my son was two. Mm -hmm. And so that, um, you know, it really helped a lot with that. But it was never really um, what I, like my son is now, he's a resident um, at Harvard. He's training as a doctor wow. and he loves it. I mean, he is so excited. I look at his tweets and he's always tweeting about something medical, about something because he wants to do um, ICU medicine, he wants to be the, the intensivist. And he's always tweeting about that stuff. And it's like the most exciting thing in the world for him. And it's fabulous for him. But I was never like that. I was more looking at immunology and thinking, wow, this is self-consciousness on a cellular level. Our immune system can tell what's, what's me and what's not me, and we got to get rid of what's not me. And like, that's where my head was going. And, you know, and then I had to sort of memorize, you know, this whole cascade complement system. And it was like, oh, okay. But, you know, I just, it, it was just a different experience for me. Mm -hmm. and, and then medicine changed tremendously. And so um, where it used to be, you'd go into medicine and you knew that you'd never starve. You know, you'd, you could be, a, you'd have an, a nice middle class or upper middle class income. You could send your kids to school. You could have a house. You could live in, you could live nicely, you know. Sure. Um, not everybody who becomes a doctor, believe it or not, has, you know, three cars and, you know, a house on an island. Right, right. Um, you know, probably most people don't, especially now. But, you know, you, you could... You could make it a nice, decent living, be comfortable and do something really important and meaningful and feel like you made it a, an important contribution to other people's lives. Mm -hmm. So I did that. Um, but then medicine changed and it became, it started getting bought up by big business. Um, insurance companies started it and 
big pharma and then everything if you kind of look around i think i don't think there's any place in the country anymore that doesn't have a predominance of conglomerates you know or hospital systems that encompass yes. the doctors and and everybody all belongs to that system mm -hmm. so when that started happening the whole focus of medicine changed and now because it's business people who are involved and running the show and not the doctors anymore. Their model is about what most business people are, find important, and that is the bottom line, making money. Right. So it was. It became about, and it's, it is about how many patients an hour can you see, and how many procedures can you do, and what can you bill for, and um, how happy are your patients? Patients became your customers. So, you know, sometimes we have to tell patients things that they don't want to hear, you know, because we don't, you know, and I'll, I'll look up sometime and I'll say, I don't have the authority <laughs> to change your physiology. I can't, <laughs> I can't help, you know, I know you want to continue to smoke, but look what's happening to you. Or, you know, um, you have to change your lifestyle if you expect to feel better. I can't just wave a magic wand, you know, so now it's all about just give me a pill. And some yeah. of this is, is about what's happened also to the American people. And it's, and it's, we've been fed this, I think largely by the media, which says um, they wanna make money. How do they make money? They appeal to the things that appeal to your average American, which is what's convenient, what's easy, what's fast, and what can I have right when I want it? And not, you know, so I, I mean, this is for years, I would get a mother bringing their, their child into an urgent care and, they have an appointment with the pediatrician at two o'clock and it's 10 in the morning, but they didn't want to wait. So now the pediatrician knows the kid, right? And especially if the kid has some particular issues, medical issues, it's much better for the child to see their regular doctor, but um, the mother just, it's just not convenient for them. So what's happened is that you're, you know, people come in now and they want us, I've, I've worked in, let me just back up for a second. I've worked in urgent care primarily because I was a single parent. I became a single parent in 1994. And um, back then in family practice, you had to take call at the hospital, stay late and you know to, to admit patients, um, go on rounds at five o'clock in the morning before your regular hours. And I couldn't do that with my son and I needed to have very set hours. So I started doing urgent care even before it was a thing. Uh, and the place that I worked for 17 years was run by doctors and it was very much their interest was in quality and in helping people. They had a different, cause they were like in the beginning, you know, mm -hmm. but now what's happened is it's just really hard to do good medicine as opposed to the accepted medicine. You send, and you know, Medicare is involved and you, we need to fill out all these other parameters, even though we're not the primary care doctor, how are we supposed to find time to ask them if they had their colonoscopy when they just came in for their COVID test? I mean, it, it's, right, <laughs> you know, right, yeah. it's, it's kind of gotten to the point of absurdity. So anyway, but this was before COVID though, around about 2017, I was just so disillusioned and, and angry and I felt betrayed by this profession that had promised me so much, or at least my parents had thought it would promise me so much. And society <laughs> seemed to think it was so great. Mm -hmm. You know, back in the day, it was like, oh, you're a doctor. All of a sudden, everybody wants to know you. And, um, and so I started to write about it. Mm -hmm. And I didn't, and this is part of the journey of discovering that it, this wasn't what I wanted. 
Um, it's amazing what happens when you start putting things on paper, because then you have to, to look at it. It's like right there in front of your face. Literally so, in black and white. <laughs> literally in black and white. So writing a whole book is a daunting project, and I couldn't even imagine that. But I started writing little patient encounters, like little chapters, you know, and every single one was about something that really happened in the office. And I changed the names and I changed the scenarios a little bit so nobody could recognize anybody. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I put these, I started, I, I don't know how many I did, but there were a whole bunch of them. Um, I even had colleagues that would call me and say, hey, you wouldn't believe what happened today. You got to put this in your book. And it was very therapeutic because the more outrageous the story was, um, the more I could just say, instead of getting like really, you know, um, eating my, my guts out, I could just say, I'm going to put that in my book. And then it became, um, it, was, it was like I could utilize that as an experience that was, you know, was for benefit as opposed to just causing me, you know, acid indigestion. Sure. So, so I started doing this and I, and then I went to a seminar, which is for physicians. Um, this is a, a company that does this twice a year. It's called Seek, S-E-A-K. And um, it's for physicians who are looking for non-clinical careers. There's a lot of us up there. Um, yeah, I was going to ask, um, you know, how I, there must be more than you, you know, feeling this way. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there, there's just tons and tons and all kinds of closed Facebook groups that are doctors only where people, you know, talk about alternatives and their frustrations. And anyway, so I went to the section for writers and I met someone there who, um, who's, uh, who's, who's a retired faculty member from the University of Southern California, um, who's a screenwriter, but he mentored me for my first book. And so um, I had all these scenarios and I met with him a few times. He had, um, he had a, a workshop in Los Angeles. So I went out there for the workshop and basically I was putting these, this, these scenarios together into a book, but I had to decide whether it was gonna be real or not real, fiction or nonfiction. Mm -hmm. And I decided that nonfiction was too much liability for me. I could get in trouble. Right. And I, and I didn't want to, you know, if anybody had anything to complain about, if it's a fiction, it's just a story. I made it up. So, but then when you write a fiction, you have to have, you know, there's certain rules of literature. You have to have a hero. You have to have a villain. You have to have somebody who challenges you. You have to have allies along the way. You have to have obstacles that you come across. You know, the, there has to be, um, you know, in the whole Joseph Campbell scenario, um, hero with a thousand faces, you know, where the hero refuses the call and says, oh, no, I'm, I'm not going to do that, you know, <laughs> until you get the hero to turn around and, and take on the mantle of what they're, they're destined to do and to be. So I wrote this other story and which was um, which was the, the thriller mystery part. And that was about the um, Russian oligarchs hacking into our electronic medical records and stealing our information and using that information to extort millions of dollars from patients and then they would murder them. Oh, wow. And so, <laughs> and then I wove the two, with, with Rich Kravolin's help, I wove the two stories together. Wow. Uh, I had people say to me afterwards, you know, like, where did this happen? When did this happen? I'm like, I, I don't know, but it sounds like it could have happened. I said, well, maybe, but I just made it up. <laughs> it happened so, in your head. <laughs> it just happened in my head, you know? So 
anyway, so I, when I, after I did it, when I got to the last page of this book, and you have to bring closure because that's one of the rules of literature too. You know, you don't want to leave your your readers feeling disappointed, like Game of Thrones the last season was just horrible experience for everyone. <laughs> but but um, and I, I realized when I finished the book that I was being very inauthentic to myself. I was doing this job, and I hated it. And I had just outlined all the problems, all the, not just problems, like, you know, you can be in a, in a, a field where there are problems that you want to tackle and make better, but just all the, the disillusionment and all the betrayal, because now it's a, you know, the field is something that's run by a whole, but not by physicians, not by people who are interested in making people well, it's by people who are interested in keeping people happy, you know, and then there's, um, in my coaching group, I, um, for physicians, one of my first slides is a patient cured is a customer lost. <laughs> yes. But the whole thing, the whole thing is about customers. You know, it's, it's about the patients become a consumer of healthcare, mm -hmm. and they're treated that way. And so by the time I finished the book and I looked at it and I said, what am I doing? What am I doing with my life? You know, and I was, how old was I then? Well, I published it when I was, I think, 58 okay. is when it came out. It was released. And I, I said, I, can't, I don't want to do this anymore. Um, but I didn't know what else to do. And, and like, you know, it's funny because a lot of physicians and I, I think a lot of people out there and a lot of women, especially out there, are sort of conditioned that we fit into this little, little peg, you know, into this little hole and, and we don't fit in any other holes. And, and that's all we can do. And that's all we're good for. And, you know, I can't tell you how many, how many doctors I talked to. Well, I don't have any other skills. Like, what are you talking about? You have a doctorate in medicine, you have, you know, you've been able to allocate resources, you have, you know, been able to take, you know, situations and think on a, on a, in a split second, and manage situations and manage staff. And, you know, you have, and you have so much just general knowledge of physiology, biology, you know, all, all these things. And, and it's, you know, how, how is it that we end up feeling like we don't, well, I don't know enough to do anything else. And, um, so I realized that that's not the case. I became certified as a coach, mm -hmm. and but I and which I, I do, and I really enjoy helping people um, because I can I can touch them, I can connect with them in a way that I don't have time to anymore with medicine. If I'm supposed to see six patients in an hour, how much you know how much connection can I have with them? I really can't, you know. And that's that was even before COVID. Now forget about it. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it's just. So, um, and, but it, what my real passion is writing. So, because I discovered after I finished that book that I really loved writing fiction, but my fiction, like, I don't want to just, they told me, you know, the, your, your thriller story is so good. You don't really need all the stuff in the office. And I said, that's why I wrote the book. I wrote the book because I needed to let people know what was happening in their doctor's office, why they can't spend more than 30 seconds and the other minute and a half the doctor's staring at their computer console, why they can't get the medication that they wanna get even though their doctor wants to give it to them, why they can't get this procedure, why the antibiotic that they want so desperately is they're being told they can't have it. Oh, okay, maybe you can, even though it's not good for you because you know, because then, then the doctor starts thinking about, oh, I'm gonna get a bad score, you know? That's just, so, oh, that drives me crazy. You know. it, it, it's you know I mean we could talk about scores for like a while yeah it, it I you know I just so I, I needed to say that 
And then when I, you know, I wrote my second book, which is part of my passion, which was about extremism and how people don't think for themselves. And, but it's, a, but it's a thriller story. It's a, you know, it's hopefully you get involved. And so my feeling is if people get emotionally involved in a story, they can think about the issues that I bring up and it's not so threatening. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, nobody needs another platform to stand on, another march to join, another petition to sign. It's like, we're, we're exhausted, you know, mm-hmm. just uh, the, the American population is just exhausted. So yeah. um, anyway, so that's how I got to where I am. My third book um, should be out hopefully by the end of August, beginning of September, and that's called Beyond the Pillars of Salt. Oh, okay. And the message in that one is um, if we don't learn to become better human beings, then we may face our own extinction. So, I mean, like, you know, I kind of just like throw things on the table. (laughs) I love that. You just like put it right out there, don't you? I just put it out there, you know, and and Undue Influences, which is out there already, it's it's about how, you know, the public is is literally being brainwashed. And, you know, you, you read it and say, oh my God, this can't really be happening can it <laughs> <laughs> oh but it can but it can so um so that's where i am so now i'm i'm just working a few hours a week because i need health insurance i'm not quite at the point where i can get medicare yet mm-hmm. got a couple more years and um so it, and it, it gives me a few bucks here and there but um my real my real focus is on writing and on coaching and and i'm so much happier yeah isn't that amazing <laughs> yeah yeah. Do you think um, a lot of times, a lot of women that I talk to, it's this time of their life, you know, after 50 is when they do these things, they make these changes. Do you think that played into it? Like, in well, I think that, I think there's a lot to that because I think with women, especially there's three phases and I might be simplifying life a little bit, but there's before kids, mm-hmm. there's kids and there's after kids. And I don't mean like the kids are gone, but the kids are gone. <laughs> <laughs> You know, so they're not off the planet, but they're kind of, you know, they're not, they're not focused in your life the same way. So before kids, you know, it's what I want to do with my life and what can I be and, and uh, what am I interested in? And then, you know, they have children, we have children. And then uh, I think most mothers focus on their children and the children are the priority and everything else gets put on the back burner. Like my choice of where I was going to work in medicine had a lot to do with the fact that I was a single parent. And it was probably maybe, you know, I could probably have gotten more satisfaction if I'd been in a different field or done it differently, but I didn't have the flexibility to do it. Okay. And um, my son came first. And then, then our children grow up. And if we've been successful, they leave. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they say the most important thing we can teach our children is how to live without us. Uh-huh. And I've told my son that I excelled tremendously. <laughs> <laughs> but um so then they, they go off, you know, they, they maybe get married or they live on their own or they have their own careers, or, you know, and, and then we're sort of left there and it's kind of like, okay, um, who was I again? What did I want to do with my life? Now I have all this time. I, I, I don't, I'm not focused on my son the same way, or I may be, but he's not, you know, and, and who do I want to be? And in one way that's, it can be for some people terrifying, like, oh my God, my life is empty. But on the other hand, if you just kind of flip the perspective on that, it can be really exhilarating. It's, a, it's an adventure to discover yourself. Look back, you know, um, when you were 18, what did you want to be? Only now you have wisdom, um, hopefully some resources, and you can make decisions. And, you know, the, the problem, I think, is that by the time we're 50, 60, we've been in such a rut for so long that it's scary to leave it. We may not like where we are, but it's familiar. 
you know, it's just, it's just the familiar, but, you know, I've heard, I've heard it said, you know, don't be an extra in your own movie. Oh, I love that. <laughs> be a star, be a star in your own movie. Okay. Yeah. And every one of us has our own movie our life is our own movie. And, you know, to, but it takes courage to do that, you know, and, and um, some people can just find it in themselves and some people just need, you know, once they see other people around them doing it or, you know, getting, you know, when you, the people that you hang around with tend to be the people that you become like, you know, mm -hmm. so find the people that are, that are following their heart and their dreams and who, I mean, it's not like they're not scared. Everybody gets scared, yeah. but you do it anyway. And if you're not nervous about things that you're doing once in a while, you're probably not growing. Right. You know, exactly. If you're, yeah. If you're not getting out of your comfort zone, then you're just like, you're just sitting in the ground there. You know, you want to be sprouting and growing. Yeah. And that's why I do this podcast to share those stories of women who have found that courage to step out of that comfort zone and do new things. And I want other women to go, oh, maybe I can do that. I'm going to try that, you know? So that was perfect. Perfect. What you just said. It's so important. You know what? It was really interesting when I started telling people, my colleagues that I was kind of, cause I quit medicine for like 11 months. And then I kind of went back just for the health insurance because my COBRA ran out. But when I told people I was leaving, I expected, you know, like what my parents would have said, I expected, oh, how can you do that? You put all this time in, how'd you? but I didn't get that. What I got was, wow, that's so great. I wish I could do that. I got exactly the opposite reaction I expected from 99% of people I told. They were like, that's so awesome. Good luck to you. You know, everybody was like, oh, just envious because so many people would like to have, to feel like they had the resources to just get out of the rut and do what they want. And what yeah. we don't realize is we do have the resources. Yeah. We, you know, we can, we do. And we just need to find them and use them and just do it. Just, just go for it. Yeah. I love that. That was kind of me too. When I decided not to be a nurse anymore, like I retired from nursing last year. And like, I thought I'd be more upset about it, but I'm like, this is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> you, you did know. it at a good time too with the pandemic you know yeah yeah, yeah. for sure yeah but yeah so I, I love that I love that message for people too so tell us a little bit about your coaching I think you do like group coaching so I do group and I do individual I okay. I um I prefer to do groups because I don't have a huge amount of time um and there's something about this so the groups I think actually resonate with people in some ways better because first of all, it's less expensive because it's a group. But second of all, um, you get the energy of all the other people in the group. And it doesn't take that long for a group to gel and for people to start to trust each other. And you get everyone's different point of view and you get like, you know, a lot, instead of just me telling someone, yeah, you're doing the right thing. You've got like three or four other people saying, yeah, 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 keep going, keep going. That's, that's you know what I mean? So it's, it's, it's really helpful. Um, and, um, and I do do some individual coaching too. And I do, I work with, I work with doctors, but I also work with people who just feel like, you know, they want to get out of the rut they're in and they don't know how. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really about the image that we have of ourselves and whatever our self image is, is kind of how the world responds to us. And what I've been realizing is that if we change our self image, if we start to change the way we look at ourselves, and we can do that, you know, we just have to start emphasizing the things that work, you know, emphasizing our strengths, because, you know, how easy is it to go along and, and just be telling yourself everything bad that happened this week and all the things you're not, 
um, instead of all the things that you did right and all the strengths that you have and all the things you can be proud of because oh, we're not really supposed to do that, but you are supposed to do that. We should do that. And when we start to change the way we think about ourselves, it's the most amazing thing. The world starts responding to us differently. Even our friends respond to us. Our family responds. They, they're not able to have that same relationship where they, you know, bang on us. <laughs> but all of a sudden, we're not taking the bang. Like, I love you, but no. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's like, oh, okay. And, and they'll adapt. And, and the world, but it's amazing. I've just seen so many amazing things. The universe just changes. It's like you're living in a different world all of a sudden because you're not that person anymore. Right, yeah. Yeah, and I, I've experienced that too where I've, I've taken so much stuff from certain people and I just decided, nope, I'm done, you know? And so I kind of, I did what you just said. It is amazing. Like I'm happier and, you know, mm -hmm. and they're fine too. So <laughs> it works. Yeah, awesome. right. <laughs> I also coach, I also coach writers, you know, people oh, okay. who, uh, who want to start writing on their own and, you know, but it's, it's a little bit daunting, you know, and, and intimidating. So, yeah, you know, yeah. I'm here to cheer you on and, and help awesome. you kind of focus a little bit. I bet you're good at keeping people accountable too. Accountable. <laughs> that's the whole, that is the, that's the key yeah. because we don't always keep ourselves accountable to ourselves. Like we, we, I, th I find this, especially with writing, you know, I'm, I'm going to write for an hour today, but oh, I'm going to do this first. And I'm going to do this first. And I'm going to do this and never, we never get around to it. And it's not just for writing. It's like those things that are important to us. Um, I think particularly as women, we tend to put them off and do for everyone else first. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so keeping people, you've got to, you know, schedule a time for you and for writing, it's great. But even for other things, you know, you got to schedule the time for you. I'm going to, I'm going to exercise such and such a time, you know, every other day, or I'm going to walk or I'm going to meditate or I'm going to, I'm going to write, you know? So yeah, I, I do try to keep people accountable. Awesome. So do you use Zoom for your coaching? I'm assuming? Always. And I used okay. that before the, the pandemic. Before. Too, okay. so. so people in other parts of the country want to reach out to you, they can do that. Oh, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Okay. So where would people find you? I, I know you have a website. Do you want to tell us the name of your website? And sure. It's just DebraBlaine.com. Okay. And on my website, you'll see my books because I'm so excited about my books, but I also have okay. a coaching page. And so you can read a little bit about me. And there's a, a link to Calendy to sign up for a session if you want the first session is free just to, like a you know an introduction who are you what are you looking for um how can i help you and you know if it doesn't seem like the right fit then that's fine yeah and, and uh, right now i'm having a little issue linking my calendar to my zoom but i'm going to figure that out and so if you uh, sign up for a for a session um, i'll send you a zoom link don't worry <laughs> okay all right and we'll put those links in the show notes so people can just click right on them from the podcast episode um and your book the beyond the pillars of salt is coming out august september um, yeah, end of August, um, early September. That's my goal. Okay. Okay. So this podcast should be um, coming out around that time. But okay, so cool. We'll make cool. sure we grab that for you. All right, Deborah. Thank you so much for talking to me today. I could talk to you all day. I, I, we, we kind of speak the same language here. But <laughs> thank you, Kim. I feel the same way. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, maybe we'll have to have you come back again another day. Awesome. That would be great. I would really, I really like that. Yeah. Well, you have a great day, and we'll talk to you soon. Okay, you too, Kim. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Midlife with Courage, and I hope that you've been inspired and motivated to live your amazing life. I'm Kim Benoy, and I want you to live every moment. For more inspiration and motivation, check out my website, 
www.midlifewithcourage.com. You can read more about my story and find links to more great information. Take care of your beautiful self and I'll talk to you soon.